Welcome to Health Source, a community education program brought to you by the University of Vermont Health Network. Your host today is Alex Tercy from the UVM Medical Center. According to the American Heart Association, about 5 million Americans are diagnosed with heart valve disease each year. Here to talk to us about heart valve disease and new treatments for it is Dr. Harold Dowerman. He's a cardiologist at the University of Vermont Medical Center and a professor at the Larner College of Medicine at UVM. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dowerman. Thanks, Alex. Um, so first off, for listeners who might not be as well acquainted with um, the heart, could you tell us a little bit about what heart valves are and what they do? The heart's a pump in your chest, and most people think of a heart attack, and they what they're thinking about is the blood supply to the heart, the pipes getting clogged up, mm-hmm. and that's what causes damage to the heart. We're talking about a completely different set of diseases unrelated to heart attacks or the pipes or blood supply to the heart. The heart's divided into four chambers, and each chamber has a valve. So there are four valves that allow the blood to move in one direction through your heart. So blood flows back from your ankles to your heart through the right side to the lungs, Mm -hmm. then from the lungs to the left side, and from the left side out to your hands, your arms, and your head. To keep the blood moving all in one direction, you need four valves that open and shut at the right time. Most of the patients we're seeing at UVM Medical Center over the course of decades acquire wear and tear on two of these valves, the aortic Mm -hmm. and mitral valve. And as these valves start to wear and tear, they either block and get clogged like your kitchen drain, so that the blood or the, just like in your sink, the uh, water can't get out mm-hmm. while the blood can't get out. Or they wear and tear and they get leaky. And so everything starts backing up in the wrong direction. Either of these problems usually lead to syndromes like shortness of breath, mm-hmm. chest pressure, and can be fatal if they progress too far. So you said wear and tear. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what, causes or what kinds of things manifest themselves in heart valve disease? Is it just a natural part of aging or is it something else? It's certainly not natural for everybody because Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen to everybody. Mm -hmm. The most common valvular heart disease that we treat now is called aortic stenosis. Mm -hmm. This is a blockage of the aortic valve, which is normally the size of a quarter. And all the blood flows from your heart on the left side out to your hands, your body, your brain, everything through the aortic valve, which Mm -hmm. has to open and close. 3% of people over the age of 80, that quarter shrinks down to the size of a dime. That's called aortic stenosis. Mm -hmm. And as it shrinks down to the size of a dime, when your heart squeezes, it's a clogged kitchen drain. Mm -hmm. It can't get all the blood out, so it backs it up into the lungs and makes people have shortness of breath or congestive Mm -hmm. heart failure. If that dime keeps shrinking to the point where the blood can't get forward to your brain and your legs and your arms, you can die from that disease. What causes aortic stenosis? We don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know why these 3% of people over 80 get it. Um, What it looks like if you were to open up someone's chest and look at the heart, the normal heart valve looks has the consistency of the bottom of your thumb. Hmm. But as it gets diseased, it gets calcified or hardened like your fingernail. And so the leaflets, normally there are three leaflets there that need to open and close and be compliant. Um, But when they're hard like your fingernails, they get stuck and they get clogged up. Mm-hmm. And that's what causes people to need interventions in order to open up that blockage. You mentioned um, people over the age of 80. Do you see this in people who are younger than that, or is it typically an, uh, an elder, elder-focused elder disease? So we do see people who are younger. I'd say our average age is around 80, mm-hmm. but we see people in their 70s, and we can see people in their 50s and 60s. 
There are some people who are born with an abnormal aortic valve, and they can live with it for five or six decades. Mm -hmm. And the usual variant is your aortic valve has three pieces that move together, three leaflets. But some people are born with two leaflets. Mm -hmm. And when the two leaflets try to do the work of three, over decades, they wear out quicker. So in those people who have what we call bicuspid aortic valves, they will come in in their 50s or 60s with the same disease as an 85-year-old. It's less common than the what we call the degenerative calcific form of that disease, mm -hmm. but we do see that. And often those people will know they have a heart murmur ever since they were born or since their teenage years, and the doctor will have told them that they have a bicuspid aortic valve and we're watching for that. How else would people know that they might have a heart valve disease? You mentioned shortness of breath and a few other things. I wonder if you could reiterate what some of the symptoms are. So the two most common valve diseases we see are the aortic valve diseases, which are either a plugged aortic valve, aortic stenosis, a leaky aortic valve, which we call aortic regurgitation, or on a completely different valve called the mitral valve, also on the left side of the heart, mm -hmm. getting leaky. All of those conditions usually have a heart murmur. So if somebody is seeing a primary care doctor or a cardiologist, they will often be told they have a murmur, which is sort of a harsh, loud sound in their chest in between mm -hmm. the normal closure sounds of the valves. Often people don't find out about it till they start to have symptoms. And the most common symptom is they're going up a flight of stairs and they start to feel short of breath. Mm -hmm. And they didn't feel short of breath a year ago when they went up flights of stairs. And so over time, they might start process of restricting their climbing of stairs or walking to get to the mailbox instead sensing someone else. So mm -hmm, they have decreased mm -hmm. activity tolerance, more shortness of breath, and they'll eventually present to their primary care doc and then hopefully a cardiologist as a next step to evaluate why they're more short of breath. And a valve blockage is one of the possible causes. Our guest today is Harold Dowerman. He's a cardiologist at the University of Vermont Medical Center and a professor at the Larner College of Medicine at UVM. So how do you treat something like heart valve disease? Well, the first treatment is medical therapy, which is often if someone has fluid in the lungs, medicines alone can help with that by relieving the amount of fluid. Uh, some of those medicines are very similar to blood pressure medications. Aortic stenosis, the blocked aortic valve, is not preventable medically, mm -hmm. meaning you can treat some of the symptoms, but it's going to progress and inexorably cause death without an intervention. Mm -hmm. Since the invention of the heart bypass machine, the standard of care to treat valvular heart disease like aortic stenosis has been open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Open the chest, cut out the valve, sew in a new valve, close the chest. Mm -hmm. And this is a very successful procedure that is life-saving. And our surgical colleagues have perfected it to the point where they are in general is a low-risk procedure for the right patient. Mm -hmm. But for example, aortic stenosis, where there's so many patients who are between age and 80 and 95, many of these people are sicker and won't be able to tolerate open heart surgery. In that case, we have a second option called transcatheter aortic valve replacement, which we've abbreviated TAVR. Hmm. And in transcatheter aortic valve replacement, we go into your right groin area where the femoral artery or leg artery is. We make a three millimeter incision and we go up from there with a straw or a catheter up to your heart. And we put a giant stent in, the diseased aortic valve, mm -hmm. and sewed into that giant stent is either pig tissue or cow tissue that has the three leaflets that open and close soft like the bottom of your finger. Mm -hmm. Doing that, you get back the quarter-sized hole, which you're supposed to have, 
with unidirectional flow from the left ventricle out to the aorta. And instead of it backing up to your lungs, it's going to the rest of your body the way it should. Hmm. And how many patients at this point have gone through that TAVR procedure? I think we've done about 950 here. We're approaching mm -hmm. 1,000 patients here at UVM Medical Center. We started the program in February 2012. Mm -hmm. We currently do about five people a week mm -hmm. for the TAVR procedure. And how do you talk to patients about this? Like if they ask about open heart surgery versus the TAVR procedure, what is that kind of conversation like? So we usually ask the patients to, uh, first to understand the disease process mm -hmm. and that medications alone for aortic stenosis won't prevent it from progressing. And so that if they're highly symptomatic now, it's only going to get worse. So if they're thinking about doing something to fix it, now's the time, uh, not waiting until another year or two when things sure. could be mm -hmm. um, too far progressed. Once they have an understanding, and I usually do the typical talk about the clogged kitchen drain with them and mm -hmm. how it's a mechanical problem, mm -hmm. we need to open up the drain. They then want to proceed with the therapy. I quote them the risks of the TAVR procedure. There is a 3% risk of death or stroke in the first 30 days. There's an 8% risk of ending up with a pacemaker because mm -hmm. we disturb the wiring of the heart. Mm -hmm. And there's an 8% risk of a bleeding complication in the groin that could require a transfusion, stent, or stitch. I tell people you have a 90% chance, though, that you will undergo this procedure without any complications, be up walking around, the next day and go home. Hmm. You do have an alternative open heart surgery if you prefer the more uh, decades long uh, procedure. The recovery time is much longer, um, but the outcomes are excellent with open heart surgery and every patient sees a cardiac surgeon as well as an interventional cardiologist mm -hmm. to discuss these two options and then the patients choose which one they prefer. And for those who go through the TAVR program, I mean, you just said that a day later, they'll be, you know, back to their normal business. So what does life look like after the procedure? So a day later, they're usually up walking around and can go home. Uh, I usually tell them for the first four or five days, take it easy at home. Mm -hmm. We ha Even though it's only a three millimeter incision in the groin, it is a little bit of a bruise there sometimes. And mm -hmm. I like to make sure they're all healed up. After four or five days, I tell them to do whatever they normally do in life. And we'll want to see them four weeks afterwards to find out if they're feeling better. 90% mm -hmm. of people, their breathing improves within days of the procedure. And we want to confirm that. If for some reason their breathing is not better by one month, that means something else is going on. And we need to investigate other problems that might cause shortness of breath, like blocked heart arteries or lung mm -hmm. disease or anemia. So sometimes uh, it's a process getting people back to how they felt 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. But if it's really only the aortic valve, then often we will see dramatic improvements within days. Hmm. Wow, that's really incredible. So what else do you see in the future of treating heart valve disease? So we're expanding the therapies that we've developed with the aortic valve to the other valves. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, two years ago, we started fixing the mitral valve which traditionally only had the options of surgery or medical therapy, and doing it again with a catheter-based approach. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we found techniques where we come up through a vein in the leg, puncture through the septum or the dividing part of the right and left heart, and we put a clothespin on the leaky leaflets of the mitral valve. Mm. The wrists are very similar to the wrists of the TAVR patient, and very similarly, we can see patients with about 80% of them will have significant improvement in their breathing by the time we're seeing them again in 30 days. That program, the MitraClip program, 
is uh, one that's been rapidly expanding, I think, over the last year. Mm -hmm. And as we see more indications and more improvements in that technology, I see the aortic valve and mitral valve, which is 50% of all valvular heart disease, generally having a more and more solid, minimally invasive option than Mm -hmm. it did ever before. And when you say uh, being picked up more rapidly, do you mean here or do you mean just nationally or globally? All three. All three. Okay. I think, you know, we are, <laughs> our practice here reflects what's going on uh, nationally mm-hmm. and globally. Globally, this these um, devices are very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Taver valve costs $30,000. Mm-hmm. So it's a real problem in developing countries to have access to this kind of technology. Mm-hmm. And these technologies are largely limited to Western industrialized countries that can afford it at this time. Do you see anything in the future of that to make those more affordable in other countries? Or Yeah, I'm a firm believer in capitalism, but I think as soon as there are 10 vendors involved, right now there's only two, mm-hmm. you're going to see prices go way down. And with that, you'll see options for countries that are second world to come into mm-hmm. play. And then eventually, uh, you know, the competition will drive the price down to the point where it's like coronary stents. When we fix blocked pipes in the heart, we use stents, which at one time were absurdly expensive and really mm. confined to certain countries. But now we see um, stents being used in China and India and Brazil and other countries because mm-hmm. of uh, multiple vendors and prices being driven down in innovation. Mm. It'll take some time. What would you say to listeners who might be concerned that they or their loved one might have a heart valve disease of some sort? Yeah, I think that if you have a heart murmur, I heard on a physical exam, we're fortunate to have beautiful technology to figure out what's causing that heart murmur mm-hmm. with a non-invasive procedure of an echocardiogram. Just like you could see the fetus now better than ever before in mm-hmm. incredible detail, well, we could see the heart in a lot of detail in the exact same technology. We just moved the ultrasound up from the belly to the chest. Mm. And so our expert echocardiographers here and in Plattsburgh and in Montpelier, they all have technology that should be able to make this diagnosis very simply and quickly. Mm-hmm. And I would say anybody who has a heart murmur, especially if they're having any shortness of breath symptoms, they should get an echocardiogram as the first step. Okay, great. Thank you so much for all this information. Welcome. Our guest today has been Harold Dowerman. He's a cardiologist at the University of Vermont Medical Center and a professor at the Larner College of Medicine at UVM. To learn more about health and wellness resources available to you from the UVM Medical Center, please visit uvmhealth.org medcenter. You've been listening to Health Source, brought to you by the University of Vermont Health Network. For more information, visit uvmhealth.org and check us out on social media.